Well, this month we have been studying the book of Jeremiah, and we are at the end. This is the fourth quarter. We're going to summarize it, 31 chapters uh, in four weeks. Isn't that great? And uh, so let me just kind of remind you what we've been doing, what we've looked at. We, we chose Jeremiah because he was the prophet who was called to minister along with Ezekiel and Daniel, all lived about the same time, that they were called to, to minister to Israel during the absolute darkest, worst days of that nation. When the, the final hope was extinguished, when Babylon would come and take all of the, the children of Israel into exile, not once, not twice, but three times come and just to snuff out the flame, it, it, it appeared. And during that time, Jeremiah was there. He didn't go with the exiles in the first uh, trip with Daniel. He didn't go later with Ezekiel. He stayed there until the very end, and he preached the gospel faithfully, and he called people to repentance faithfully. And he knew his ministry was going to be difficult and hard, and he didn't want to do it, and he asked God, don't make me do it. And God began comforting him, and that's what we looked at the first week, right? Jeremiah, I made you for this. I made you for this. And we try to draw comfort from that, that wherever we are, what we're doing, God has prepared us. He did, he's not surprised by what we're called to go through. And then the second week, we looked at why uh, Israel was going through such judgment. And we saw uh, God say that, we heard God say that you've committed two sins. You've abandoned me, and you've turned to things of your own hand. You've, you've put your trust in other things besides me to fulfill that thirst that's within you. And we saw ourselves in that and, and our own tendencies to abandon God and not come to him to be filled and not come to him to be completed, but rather turn to ourselves in our own hands. And then the third week, last week, we, we looked at him, him and, and heard his words for us when we are in, when we are in those dark times. And be reminded that we are where God has us. And we're going to wait for him and his promise to come and restore us. And that he does have good plans for us. And he wants us to, to plant gardens where we are, to make, to make our place the new Eden. And we, we called this whole series Dancing in the Storms, right? And we talked about uh, why the storm is here and why we should dance. But we haven't heard the music yet. Now, I'm the worst dancer in history. Uh, if you've ever sat next to me during hymn singing, you know why. Uh, I was on the golf course this last week with uh, Jason Bobo and the staff, from, uh, the staff from Christ Prez. We were doing a little charity tournament for a crossover community uh, fellowship. And, and I was just singing. I just sing wherever I am. And Jason Bobo turned around and looked at me and goes, you don't have any idea what rhythm is, do you? I was like, no, just, I don't. I, I can't hear it. My son's told me the same thing. I can't hear it. Uh, the worst fight my wife and I ever had was when we were dating. We took a dancing class together, and I would just, the music would start, and I would just start dancing. And she says, you're not even close to being on the music. And I said, ah, you just need to follow me and let me lead. And uh, that didn't go well. I don't recommend that response. But even I, even I know, that the music is the key to everything. You, you can't dance without music. Uh, when we were in college, uh, Les Miserables was on national tour, and it came to Nashville, and I bought tickets uh, to try to reconcile with Bianca. <laughs> and um, 
After I bought the tickets, I found out that it was a three-hour and 45-minute production. And I was so depressed. I said, how am I going to sit there for this long? I don't sit still well. That is not my strength. And people tried to encourage me. Oh, you're really going to like it. And they gave me these little CDs. Like, listen to it. Hear the music. And I, I put the CD in my little bitty jam box, you know, back in the 80s. And I listened to it. And it didn't help. I was like, really? I get to listen to this? But when I got to the play, right, and I'm sitting in the seats, and I hear the full orchestra just start to warm up. My, my, my spirits begin to rise. And from that first note was transfixed the music was everything and the music of of the old testament that at first sounds like it's on a jam box and then it kind of gets a little bigger it sounds like tuning it sounds like warming up and then at the appearance of christ becomes an overture that plays all the way through to revelations crescendo the music of the Old Testament is the new covenant. It's the promises of God that are all yes and amen in Jesus. So please stand as we read a summary of the new covenant. Now, I really need you, you need, I don't need you to do anything. You need to go and read uh, really Jeremiah 29 through 34 today because the new covenant is restated in there four different times and I can't, I, I could just replace the sermon with reading the whole text, but it's not what I get paid for. So I'm going to summarize it for you with just this text, but please know there's way more in there. Uh, Hear the word of the Lord from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 37. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from becoming a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for for what they have done, declares the Lord. Thus, Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass and all of our glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word. God's word stands forever. You may be seated. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. He uses future tense, which is a little strange. All the other times he's saying, I'm making a covenant, behold the covenant. But here he says, I will make a new covenant. And the first question we have to ask, 
when we see God say, I'm going to make a new covenant, is this. What was wrong with the old one? Why are you throwing it away? That seems a little weird. Word of God stands forever. You hear Ricky say that every week. Why would he need to throw away the old covenant? Well, he tells us right here in the text, doesn't he? What was wrong with the old covenant? You broke it. I gave myself to you as your husband, and you broke that covenant. This new covenant I'm going to make is not like the one I made with your your fathers in the wilderness. I had already demonstrated my grace to them. I'd already brought them out of slavery, and I gave them this simple set of rules and said, just keep this. And they couldn't. They couldn't. And so God was patient, and he kept withholding judgment from them and kept giving them more and more chances. And, and they said, well, if we just had a king, we could keep the covenant. And, and so he gave them a king. And if we just had a nation, we could keep the covenant. And so he gave them a nation. If we can't, just had more time, we'd be able to keep it. But they never could do it. And we understand that, don't we? I'm watching a... Uh, I'm watching a show, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you the name of it because I'm not sure how it ends, and it might be really bad, but if you want to look it up, you can probably find it. Um, but it's about a woman who struggles with bulimia, and, uh, and she keeps going to the bank and stealing money out of the, saving, the family savings account to, to feed her habit, and then she goes to hotels and, and places in secret, and every day starts out the same. Today... You're going to eat clean. Today, you're going to eat all vegetables. Today, you are going to exercise. Today, you're going to go for a walk on the beach. Today. And she starts her day, and everything's going fine until it doesn't. Until her husband yells at her, until she sneaks a bite of a muffin, until something, just one little thing goes wrong. And then, she runs to the bank. She gets the money. She goes to the hotel. Or she goes to the fast food. She gets three hamburgers. She goes to the hotel. She, she gorges on them. She purges them. Looks in the mirror. Tomorrow, you're going to eat clean. Tomorrow. This was the last time. How many times have you said that? How many times have you looked in the mirror and said, this is the last time? God says to us, I'm going to make a covenant that's better than that. I'm going to make a covenant that's not like the one I made with your fathers. It's going to be different. Because I'm going to make you different. I'm not going to write the law in stone. I'm going to write it on your heart. I'm going to change you. And you're going to keep it. I'm going to make you different. So that's, that's what is new about the new covenant. The thing about uh, this new covenant is God's, he's giving himself to us again to, to marry. And he says to us, this time, it's not going to be a, a marriage of an unequal yoke. This time, I, I'm going to make you able to keep your vows. This time, I'm going to give you a love of his will. Look at verses 31 through 34, and we see what's different. He says, this is not like the covenant I made with your fathers on the day I took them by the hand. This is the new covenant. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. 
and I will be their God and they shall be my people. There's, there's, there's something different about it this time. And, and, and what is different about it this time is this. In the old covenant, when you sinned, when you rejected God, you had to give yourself to him as a, as a message to yourself and to, and to everyone around you and as a message to the Lord. This time I'm with you, you, you gave sacrifices, right? So getting up, go to church in the morning, been a good week. You, you're bringing some wheat with you. That's going to be your sacrifice. And your kids are not in the mood. And they don't have their shoes on because they've lost their shoes. And, and you're, you're, you're mad at them. And you're mad at your wife for letting your kids lose their shoes. And your wife's mad at you for always expecting her to be the one who keeps up with shoes. And it becomes this extreme argument on the way to church. And now instead of bringing a few sheaves of grain, you've got a bowl with you. It's like, ah, this time... This time I'll do it. And you make your sacrifice. And God says that didn't work. So this time in this new covenant, I will be the sacrifice. He pledges himself. He says, I'm going to write my laws on your hearts. How's he going to do that? We get a little bit more from Ezekiel, don't we? Ezekiel gets this vision. Same, he lives in the same time, same period, prophesying about the same covenant. But he gets a vision. He gets a vision of a valley that's filled with dry bones. And, and God tells Ezekiel, preach to the valley. Just preach. And the bones come together as a form of a bunch of skeletons. And, and flesh comes to the bones. And finally, the, a spirit, a wind blows over them. And they become living breathing people praising the Lord and he he gets another vision he says I'm going to take out their hearts of stone and I'm going to give them a new heart what when is what's he talking about he's talking about the, the giving of the Holy Spirit how do we know because when Jesus comes he looks at this man who's done nothing but try to keep the law his entire life a man who's willing who, who's earned his way up to being the teacher of Israel and yet he is willing to sacrifice all of that just to come and learn from Jesus and Jesus says to him if you're not born again you can't enter the kingdom you can't even see it and he asks how what do I have to do and Jesus says the wind blows where it will but you must be born of the spirit and of water, and of blood. A new spirit. God's giving himself. He's giving the Holy Spirit to us. But he's giving more than that. He's giving himself to us. I will be your God. Isn't that an interesting phrase? It's an interesting phrase. Uh, When someone says, this is my Ricky, this is, someone calls you theirs. What are they saying? They're, they're, they're talking about an intimate relationship. A precious, close relationship. A, a one-to-one relationship. And again, that's, that sounds strange to the people of Israel. And they're, they're saying, well, I understand how he's our God. But my God? And, and Jesus begins teaching on that, doesn't he? He comes and he, he teaches the disciples to pray, Our Father, and, 
And just before he, he goes to the goes to the uh, the cross. He says, I'm going to my father and, and to your father. And then after the resurrection, he looks at, at Mary and he says, Mary, I, I'm going to your father, to yours. He gives, God is giving himself to us in this intimate relationship of our father. And, and the Apostle Paul talks about that, saying we have the spirit of adoption. He, he's our Father. We have this intimate relationship. God is giving himself to us. And then the, the third thing he gives to us here is this, this full forgiveness of sin. In the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant is like this, this poor woman who keeps purging and binging and stealing money from her family and making the promise that today is going to be better? What if today were better? What if you woke up this morning and every single person you met, you loved them as much as you loved yourself? You started the day worshiping the Lord, loving Him with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you middle of the day stop to worship the Lord and, and love him with all your heart soul strength and mind at the end of the day you you stop to worship the Lord with all your heart soul strength and mind every single person you see on the street you see a beggar you don't drive by you don't give him money you stop and talk to him and you find out how to help every single person you meet you love them as much as you loved yourself you know what you would have earned you would go to bed that night saying I did my job that's one. And you wouldn't have done anything for all the sins you committed yesterday or the day before. If this per- poor girl in the movie, right, if she did have one good day, that wouldn't put the money back in the savings account. It would just be a good day. One. But God says, I will take your sins away and I will remember them no more. I'm going to give my son. Hebrews tells us that he is the the prophesied priest who by one sacrifice has made perfect all those who believe. I I want that to wash over you. When was the last time you you looked at yourself and said, perfect? If the Bible is true, then Christ by his sacrifice has made you perfect complete in him that's what's new about the new covenant he's he's giving himself to us to 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 keep it on our own behalf and and so then the question becomes what who's, who's he making this with and it's bigger than just who's he making it with but what is it what are the promises what What's he doing? What's he saying? He's, he's looking at Israel and he's saying, I know you're, you're being swept away by the Babylonians and there's, there's no sign of you left on the planet. But I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to bless you. And, and, we, and we look at that and go, well, that, did he? I mean, did he keep his promises? And whenever you look at prophecies in the Old Testament, the way you think about it, I want to give you kind of a, paradigm to think of it through, right? You know when you're, um, you're driving uh, you know, through Tennessee, I know you drive through Tennessee a lot, and uh, you, get, you start getting close to the Appalachian Mountains, to the Smokies, and you see like Mount Eagle and some of the, the, the foothills, and you think, 
That must be the mountains. And then beyond them, you see kind of shadowy in the distance. Smoke, they call them Smokies for a reason. They're smoky. And you see the other mountains. And those other mountains, they look real close to the hills. And they look just a little bigger. And then you drive over Mont Eagle. And you're still 100 miles from Knoxville. And you keep going east. And you realize that those mountains were a whole lot bigger than these hills. And they're a whole lot farther away. And, and God does that for us in these promises. And he says, yeah, I'm going to keep these promises in, in a small way as a down payment, as an assurance that I'm going to keep them completely and fully. What, what does that mean? Let's, let's just go through the things that he promises. He promises, first of all, that he's going to return the exiles. Uh, this is such a precious prayer and promise. He says, uh, in verse 15 and 16 of chapter 31, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Re- Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. He's saying, he's saying to these mothers who've had their children kidnapped and taken off to Babylon, don't weep. I'm going to bring them back. It's a nice promise, isn't it? And he kind of did that. They didn't all come back. Some stayed. Some died on the journey. Most of the parents died before they saw their children again. He kind of kept that promise. What's the real promise here? He keeps referring to this passage over and over. In, in Matthew 3, when mothers are having their children killed before their eyes, he brings it back up. He says, Rachel is weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, referencing this, this promise, I'm going to bring them back. How are you going to bring them back? If you've ever walked with a lady into the funeral home, and heard the wailing as she looked at her son or daughter in the coffin. This promise comes to your mind, doesn't it? I'm going to bring them back. God is saying to them, I'm going to bring him back. And Paul tells us how. Because Jesus is resurrected, so will we be. And, the, and Revelation tells us, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the resurrection, over whom the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him forever and ever. God is saying to, the, to, to Rachel, all the Rachels, all the mothers, I'm going to bring them back. Trust me. And there will be no more weeping and no more death and no more sickness. You see, you get this little hill, Right? But in the distance, you've got the mountain of the resurrection. I'm going to bring them back. What else does he promise? He promises this lesser promise. that I'm going to reunite uh, Israel and Judah. He says, I've heard Ephraim crying. That's, uh, Ephraim was a son of, of Joseph. And, uh, and kind of his name came to represent the northern tribes. I've heard Ephraim grieving. You have disciplined me, and I was disciplined like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored, for you are the Lord my God. And he, and he talks about this, this reuniting. That's the, that's the small mystery, but what's the great one? 
The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 3, this is the mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of Christ, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I'm going to reunite not just Israel, but all people. And when he, when in Revelation 7, when we get the great vision around the throne, what do we see? We see a multitude of people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. We get multiplication uh, is promised. In, in chapter 33, verse 22, God says, As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, and the sands of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like the command God gave to Adam? Be fruitful and multiply. Doesn't that sound like the promise that God gave to Abraham? I will multiply your descendants and that, to make them like the sands of the sea. And, and again, we're looking, when, when's that going to be fulfilled? Is it fulfilled when God, you know, through Ezra and Nehemiah, brings a few people back? No. It's fulfilled, again, with that great vision, a multitude that no one can number surrounding the throne of Christ is being fulfilled in our very presence, in our very day, as millions upon millions name the name of Jesus. God promises to rebuild the city. He says the days are coming when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. When, again, if we just look at the immediate answers to this promise, we go... Sort of. Nehemiah came back, built the gates. Ezra came back, laid the foundation for the temple. But do you remember the response of seeing that temple foundation built? Those who were old enough to remember the first temple wept because it was so small. And they said, this is it? It used to be better. Do you think for a moment God is going to fulfill a promise with something you look back on and go, well, it used to be better? Of course not. That promise will be fulfilled when when we, like John, sees this this great vision. John says in Revelation 21, He carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem come down from the heaven of God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel. He's saying, wait, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make this covenant. It's not complete yet, but the day is coming. He references the blessing to all nations and it reminds us again of the words he promised to Abraham. By you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we look at Israel's history and go, uh, I don't know about that, Jim. That's a reference to Jim Nance and, you know, whatever. Um, didn't, Bianca doesn't get that joke either when I tell it. Um, okay. Watch football in the, in the fall. Anyway. Uh, but, again, what does God say to what, what does God say to John in Revelation 21? By the, by the light of this city, all nations will walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. He promises a king and a priest. In, in verse 17 of chapter 33, God says, David will never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of David. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings. And we say, well, that... I'm sorry, God, you just didn't do that. 
You never put a descendant of David back on the throne. And he says, oh, yes, I have. Look at Acts chapter 1. When your Savior, the resurrected Jesus, ascended into heaven. And he sits right now on the throne, what Revelation calls the great white throne, from which he judges all nations. And by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. He promises us marriage. He says, this covenant is not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand and and brought them out of Egypt. That's the covenant they broke, even though I was their husband. He promises to redo that. And we we say, but when? And the Apostle Paul tells us, right? When he's talking about marriage, we think, we thought. And he says, a man will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and and the two will become one flesh. It's a great mystery. But I'm talking about Jesus and his church. The new covenant. Revelation 19, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. He promises life and healing. In verse 17 of chapter 30, he says, I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord. In verse 25 of chapter 31, he says, I've been praying this a lot lately, I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. And we say, are you saying people are never going to get sick? That didn't happen in Israel. And then when we look again at John's vision, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And God says to us, do you hear these promises? Do they sound like music? Do you long for that day? Can you dance to that music now? If you will hold on to them, the the, the better day is coming. I haven't abandoned you. I haven't forgotten you. The time is coming when we won't need a temple. I'm going to dwell right next to you, and you'll look into my eyes, and I will wipe the tears out of your eyes. And you'll know I was with you the whole time. And you will know that you are right to trust me. And then I will heal you. Can you dance to that now? Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would give us the grace to hear that music. To hear this new covenant and to long for it. And to get excited about it. And yes, Lord, listening to it now sounds like It sounds like a CD on a jam box. It's just not that impressive sometimes. But Lord, give us the faith to know that it's coming. And when it comes, that music will awaken us. Pray, Lord, that it would stir us even now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.